Hi, everyone. Welcome uh, to this edition of Roaring Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. And for the first time since, uh, God, I think it might have been after uh, Penn State won the Fiesta Bowl, I am joined by my co-host, Nick Polak. Nick, what's going on, buddy? I don't think I was even on that one, actually. It, I think it, I had stepped away before that. Maybe it was a preview that, like, I, it, it's been a minute is the point. Uh, and... A lot has happened in that time, uh, most importantly for the purposes of this podcast. Uh, one thing that occurred in the time since Nick and I most recently bought was Penn State played a football game. It took place on uh, Saturday afternoon in Beaver Stadium, and on the 11-year anniversary of uh, the biggest win in Appalachian State history, you all know it. By heart, walking into the big house, taking down Michigan. First game in Big Ten Network history. Uh, first uh, win over a Power 5 team in App State history. All those things. It sure as hell looked like they were going to do it again. I was actually working for uh, the the old 9-5. to five, And I had a post completely written with the title being something to the extent of Appalachian State does it again. So, uh, despite that... App State just, just missed. And Penn State just, just managed to walk out of Beaver Stadium with a 45-38 to 38 win in overtime. Uh, gets into that extra frame. Miles Sanders scores on the first possession of overtime. Penn State's defense heads out there. Uh, App State makes a play or two. And uh, Amani Oruwarie picks off... Uh, Appalachian State superstar quarterback Zach Thomas, who is now my favorite college football player on earth. Penn State wins 1-0 this week. Nick, I think the way that we have to approach this game is to break it down into the first three quarters of the game and then the fourth quarter of the game. Because it, it seemed to me like those were two different football games. Uh, the Penn State team that played for three quarters just didn't seem like it was there in the fourth, and App State just went out of its mind. So let's look at the first three quarters. Your general thoughts uh, on what we saw out of Penn State when the third quarter came to an end and uh, the score was, I believe, 24 to 10. I was impressed with what I saw from the first three quarters, honestly. It wasn't perfect. Um, but I was impressed by what I saw from the offensive line for the most part. I think Connor McGovern got worked a few times um, at his right guard spot, but it's the first time he started there since his freshman year, so that's understandable. I thought the rest of the line was pretty solid. McSorley definitely saved him from a few sacks here and there, but that's kind of his thing, and you kind of accept that if you have Trace McSorley. Uh, Juwan Johnson was inconsistent, and I think those the inconsistency from him was kind of wearing off on the rest of the rest of the receiving core. They it didn't seem like they were really getting open much, uh, but McSorley was facing a little bit of pressure, so it's possible he just didn't have time to set up some of those throws. And he, uh, I mean, they were going up against a very good secondary as well, so it's understandable. I think one of the biggest bright spots was I thought the defense in the first three quarters was really outstanding. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They, App State only scored, their only touchdown came on a kick return. They didn't really do much. They had one drive where they really moved the ball that ended in a field goal, and after that, the defense really 
stepped up and really looked good. I mean, you had guys contributing from all over the depth chart. You had second stringers, third stringers in there pretty quickly. Micah Parsons got some good run. Jarvis Miller got some good run at linebacker. Um, but then I thought the biggest, I th- for me, the biggest positive from the first three quarters and really the biggest positive from the whole game was the uh, the running the running back, specifically Miles Sanders. I thought Miles Sanders looked excellent. Uh, I thought he did a great job of following his blocks when he when they were there. I think he did a great job of balancing it when he had to. Um, but look, I mean, oh, getting ahead of myself because we're focusing on the first three quarters. But look no further than the the winning run in overtime. I mean, he followed his blocks perfectly, and I think that really showed up on the first drive of the game as well. He was just getting chunk after chunk, like eight or nine yards a carry after eight or nine yards a carry, and. Uh, for me, that was really encouraging to see. It, it was with Sanders specifically. It was a mix of he he was hitting his holes when holes weren't there to the extent that he wanted. He was bouncing. He was just making good decisions. I mean, I I, I don't think he was like toting the ball next to his body like as tight as like Saquon Barkley did, and I really hope that doesn't come back to haunt him. But like I I don't know how to be like critical of the performance we saw to him because that is what we want to see out of Miles Sanders. On the day, 19 carries, 91 yards, two touchdowns. But like you said, first three quarters, I thought he he looked like he he didn't look like someone who was being a featured back for the first time. Unless you're one of those people who you thought he was bouncing it a few too many times. I could see why you'd say that. Whatever. But yeah, I my big takeaway, the thing that I thought was going so well was I thought Penn State's defense looked outstanding. Like you already mentioned, App State scored three points through three quarters. It came their their offense scored three points on three quarters. They had the special teams touchdown. That happens. I'm I'm gonna wait a little bit to talk about that in kind of the grander context of the game, but like, you know, a few guys ran past the returner, a few guys missed tackles, like that stuff, I don't want to say it happens and because, like, I don't want to make it sound like I was going, oh, fine, you know, it's just a kickoff return for a touchdown, because that's something that could hurt them down the line when they're going up against Ohio State or uh, Michigan or a team of that caliber. We'll get Again, we'll get to that later, but it just seemed like, it seemed like all game Appalachian State's offensive strategy was to get Zach Thomas into rhythm and to get Jalen Moore uh, just the opportunity to run the football a little bit. And it, it was a concerted effort to just have the entire offense start clicking. Like, they were taking what Penn State was giving them. When Penn State's defensive backs were playing back a little bit, giving them room, saying, we'll give you five, six, seven yards, but you're not getting any more than that, App State was more than happy to take that. And I think they're downfall was they'd have those moments where it's like third and four or something like that and then uh Yitor Gross Matos who was insane I thought he was excellent that was whether he was on the edge where they were doing some like three two six looks on defense where they had him at defensive tackle in passing situations which was awesome whether it's him blowing a play up whether it's another end blowing a play up whether it's Jarvis Miller Uh, blowing a play up or whether it's App State committing a penalty it just didn't seem like App State was getting into the kind of sustainable rhythm where they could 
take advantage and get points on the board. We saw Penn State, again, stifle them for three quarters, although they were driving uh, when the fourth quarter rolled around, so whatever. Uh, and then we saw Penn State's offense. I, there were some pretty gnarly uh, drops, especially by uh, Juwan Johnson. Uh, I w- wasn't encouraged with things like DeAndre Tompkins. Really struggling when it came to picking up blocks. I wanted to see them ride Miles Sanders a little bit more instead of you know going Mark Allen or Ricky Slade. But like, it's minor things. It's stuff. Stuff like that is what you try out during the first game of the season. Uh, I can't, through three quarters, Nick, think of any major causes for concern other than the fact that I wish uh, Penn State didn't go from their first drive in the first quarter to their last drive in the second quarter. That didn't involve this awkward squib kick in, Micah Parsons being cut from a different cloth of athlete like to score. Uh, but defensively, I thought they were great during the first half. And offensively, as I'm just looking through my notes, my only causes for concern are things like, you know, there was a there was a drop by Jawan Johnson. There was DeAndre Tompkins uh, missing a block. There was uh, just stuff like that. Uh, or and of course, App State's defense. I thought was just making plays, especially in that secondary. And when you have a good, talented secondary and you have a front seven that's able to get pressure and your entire defense is playing with swagger in the opening game of the year, I think that's immeasurable. Yeah, the only thing that I was really disappointed in in those first three quarters, like you said, and mostly everything was great. Uh, but like you just mentioned at the end there, I thought the lack of separation for the receivers and the tight ends was a little bit disappointing. Yes, they were going up against multiple all Sun Belt selections in the secondary returning oh, all, all Sun Belt selections. I was going to say, if memory serves, Clifton, Clifton Duck is a uh, first team uh, all like first team preseason All American. Like he is very, very, very good. Yeah, they 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 played an excellent game. Uh, so it's understandable that they weren't able to get separation for much of the day. But this isn't going to be the last great secondary that Penn State faces. And other teams are going to get more pressure than App State did. So they're going to have to figure something out as far as how they're going to how they're going to be able to work with stud corners like that and great coverage over the top. But I mean, really, that that's the only cause for concern. I mean, John Holland, and this kind of switching gears this isn't a negative, but though John Holland wasn't able to get open as much as a um, as a target, I think he kind of made up for that with his blocking, which was shockingly excellent for somebody that we. And I know we're kind of switching gears here, but for someone that we, one of the main reasons we were worried about him as a starter was that he had never shown to be much of a blocker. I thought that he did an excellent job in that regard. I, I agree. I mean, it again, through three quarters, there was not much that I could be concerned about. It's 24-10. You're entering that third quarter. Yeah, App State has the ball. Yeah, they're driving to score. And yeah, they eventually score to make it 24-17. Uh, but still, on the whole, it just seemed like... M- Sands a few mistakes. Uh, again, whether it's something like, uh, you know, Connor McGovern's getting settled in at guard, and you could tell that, you know, he might, 
it, it took a little bit for him to really get settled into that position, or DeAndre Tompkins had an uncharacteristically uh, bad game. Because while DeAndre Tompkins, he's had plenty of games where he either doesn't catch a ball or catches like one ball for three yards, he's usually a solid enough guy that he's able to compensate for that, and he just, he just didn't have it, like, uh, again, I don't want to write it off as it's fine, but unfortunately that's something that happens in football games, and you have to find ways to win beyond that, and you have to find ways to win beyond Juwan Johnson, who you're all expecting to be uh, your top receiver, having a case of the dropsies on a few instances. Uh, and for three quarters, it looked like it was going to happen, and then the uh, both teams went to their sidelines, and everyone on both sidelines put up four fingers, and then App State came out and put the fear of God into the Nittany Lions. Uh, Nick, I'm... What? Like, I don't know exactly what this was. I have a few things that I think uh, made sense as to why this happened uh, for both teams. Why App State suddenly caught fire and why Penn State, especially on the defensive end, just got thoroughly outclassed. Uh, but I want to hear what you think first. Well, I think it was a culmination of a few things that led to the breakdown in the fourth quarter. One, I, I agree with what other people were saying about how they probably were getting a little too cute with substitutions towards the end. They definitely, they were not, they had guys in that were not totally prepared for what App State ended up throwing at them in that fourth quarter. Uh, but, it, I mean, there's there's a lot of different factors kind of, just coalescing into one big uh one big just disaster for penn state at the end there and the first part of it was that app state kind of played this little dink and dunk um little chunk take chunk by chunk all day um out of penn state and i think it just wore them out and on the other side of that the offense did not help the defense in the fourth quarter at all there were multiple three and outs and if they weren't three and outs they were just short short drives and it really, it really took a noticeable chunk of uh, life out of the defense, I thought, just having to continually jump, jump back on the field and deal with these short passes that they were never going to be able to stop and dealing with Jalen Moore, who was just doing what he wanted. And just the combination of all those things just really is not a good, not something you want to see on opening day. Yeah, and as, you know, I'm looking through the notes that I took. Uh, Penn State opened the quarter with a touchdown. Then there was a three and out where uh, we talked about this a little bit before the pod came on, but App State, I don't think Fearless can accurately describe what they were yesterday. Like, and not yesterday, on, I'm so used to doing these on Sundays, on Saturday. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Zach Thomas a little bit because that dude is just a baller. He went into as intimidating of an environment as you're going to go into in your first start in a game since 2015 when you're in high school and went for it on just about every single play. But even something on Penn State's second uh, on Penn State's second drive of the fourth quarter, I think Penn State picks up a few yards on first down. Second down, App State brings seven men on the blitz. They're able to, you know, McSorley is able to throw it away, whatever. Next play, they're blitzing again. Like, what App State was doing was they were trying to set the tempo. They were trying to throw Penn State out of rhythm, dictate what was going to happen in the fourth quarter. And they were able to do that. There was a three and out there. There was a three and out that, uh, you know, McSorley makes this great throw, but Johnson drops it. Uh, McSorley extends a play. 
uh, but he has to throw it away because everyone's taken away. Gilligan has his only bad punt of the day. App State scores, back to Penn State, and then McSorley makes it happen. Still, I think we saw uh, some of the youth that I think scared all of us on defense, whether that's youth in the form of, you know, uh, young dudes playing defensive tackle or uh, for the first time, whether it's because of losses or because of the suspension of Kevin Givens, whether that's guys at linebacker, whether they be a freshman like a Micah Parsons or guys like Cam Brown who haven't been asked to do too terribly much, suddenly in a game that you're expected to win with not totally comfortable, with a little amount of comfort, and you're up by a pretty comfortable margin, suddenly, you know, the bottom falls out and you have to start making big plays against an offense that's playing with all the swagger in the world. You see a guy like John Reed, who he hasn't played football in like 19 months or something like that. He's going to make mistakes. He got burned for a touchdown that, again, was a great, great throw by Thomas. You just see all these little things add up for Penn State, and you mix that with the fact that Appalachian State, when you're calling an onside kick in the fourth quarter of a football game where you're trailing by like two or three possessions, and you're not just, you're not doing like an, a, a uh, you know, normal onside kick, you're having your kicker basically pooch it and sprint after it and hope he can get there before a defensive back is able to get there. You're playing with a confidence and a swagger and a caution to the win mentality that, that that can really throw the other team off. And I thought Penn State got thrown off uh, by that. Nick, what was was there like a moment or a uh, series of events where it started dawning on you that, oh my God, App State might actually do this. And like, when did that moment happen? Honestly, the only time that I really, truly felt a sense of Penn State is going to lose this game was as App State was driving to what they when they would eventually miss the 56-yard field goal. Even when they went up by the touchdown, it, I mean, the first thought in my mind was they left too much time. Like The first thought in my mind was that's more than enough time for Trace to bring the team down the field and score. Because for as many deficiencies as this team had in the fourth quarter, there's nothing really that's made me doubt their clutch gene. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm all right with McSorley on that for as long as I can. So yeah. it, I didn't really feel, I mean, I, even even as they were lining up for that field goal, like 56, that's that's a long field goal. There's a brief moment in there where I was feeling a little nervous, but I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like yeah. you always, one of the things you always praise me for is my ability to stay level-headed during yeah. football games, and yeah. I feel like that kind of, I, I stayed pretty level-headed yeah, I, during this one. We're going to talk about McSorley in a second uh, and his importance to this team, uh, but I was kind of the same way outside of the fact that I was... Uh, I was at the home of a friend of the blog and former uh, RLR, well, RLR alumnus, so you're not a former alumnus, Peter Burks, and we were watching it on a delay, and my phone is buzzing with uh, just people 
being terrified and mad, so I got a little bit anxious on that. But yeah, I mean, on that final drive, like Thomas throws it up, he puts it in the one, like Overwarrie gets burned a little bit, he puts it where his receiver can get it, and his receiver makes the play. And like that had kind of the feeling, there were a few moments that felt like, do you remember in the second uh, Giants-Patriots Super Bowl when Eli Manning just cocks his arm back and drops it in a bucket to, I believe, Mario Manningham. Mario Manningham yeah. on the sideline. Yeah, like, it's just, and sorry, Penn State fans, for mentioning Mario Manningham on the podcast. We'll never do that again. It, like, that sort of thing, when it happened, I was like, oh, I've seen this before. They're going to make the one play. But, yeah, I mean, once it got into overtime, I felt pretty good. Uh, but before we kind of jump into... I don't think we need to spend too terribly much time talking about overtime. Uh, I thought uh, Miles Sanders, you know, Penn State riding him was awesome. And I thought he really established himself as, you know, a Actually, guy. Actually, on, on that ahead. point, go I ahead. guess something I forgot to mention about what went wrong in the fourth quarter. Oh, we're about they to talk, s- go back to that. So, we'll, oh, okay, cool. But yeah, Never mind like, yeah, Continue. Miles Sanders, I was going to say, Miles Sanders, they rode him during overtime. It worked out great. Uh, you and I were at, really happy uh, because Pat Fryermuth was in, in on the uh, on the final Penn State play of overtime and he was lined up in a two tight end set with John Holland and, and he actually came over and Will Fry's like went right with his block and then Fryermuth came over and sealed off the edge and gave Sanders some blocking room and like putting that faith in a freshman tight end was awesome and then you know uh, App State they get the ball they look. They make a few plays, and then Thomas makes his one big mistake of the afternoon, where Amani Overwarrior just reads what he's going to do. Thomas puts it a little high, and with a guy like Overwarrior, who is six one and very long and a good athlete, he's going to be able to go up and get that. I don't think there's too much from overtime that we need to talk about, so I want to go back and look at the fourth quarter, and what wasn't happening in the fourth quarter, Nick, that was happening in the first three that kind of gave App State a little bit of room to come back? Well, I think one of the big issues was that, I mean, like we said, in the fourth quarter, Penn State's offense was just getting bounced off the field like that. And I think one of the reasons was that they stopped riding Miles Sanders. Uh, I don't have any issue with them finding carries for Mark Allen and Ricky Slade, but you have a guy who is consistently breaking off chunks all game. I think you you have to get him back in there and let him not only run some clock, but let him do what he was doing all game, which was getting first downs. Yeah, and as I'm looking uh, on the, uh, you know, at the uh, play, uh, you know, the play-by-play, on the Drives where Penn State uh, had three and outs. It was Sanders runs on first down, and then two McSorley incompletions. As I, I'm going back and like cross-referencing them with my uh, like the notes that I took when I went back and rewatched the game. The first three and out, that was just some stellar blitzing by Appalachian State where they were able to get to McSorley, and it could have been much worse, but he was able to get the ball out of there and. Uh, and whatnot. Then the second three and out, uh, drop by Juwan Johnson, outstanding coverage by Appalachian State. But still, you kind of, like you said, with how Sanders had ran the ball up to that point, 
I want to put the ball in his hands, and I want him to keep running. And I want him to, like, I get putting the ball in Trace McSorley's hands and saying, Trace, you're the Heisman contender, win the game. I get that, I understand that, and to an extent, I agree with that. But I want to keep the ball on the ground. I don't want it being in a situation where you get, you get the ball back with, uh, you know, six minutes or whatever, and you take next to no time off the clock. Or you get the ball back with four minutes and you take next to no time off the clock because you have back-to-back incompletions. Keep it on the ground, whether it is with uh, Sanders or if it is with McSorley, who I think rushed for somewhere between like four and five yards of carry, something like that. Like, it's fine getting those short gains. And then the last thing uh, that I want to talk about uh, pertaining to the, the, you know, this game is special teams. Uh, Charles Huff, now at Mississippi State, Phil Galliano in. Uh, some changes, certainly, on special teams. Uh, Nick, what were your general thoughts? Because I have this big rant that I'm going to unleash on, but I kind of want you to go first. It obviously wasn't great. Uh, it's, Not great! It's disappointing to see a uh, kickoff return for a touchdown on the first kickoff opportunity of the year. And it wasn't really one specific, it wasn't like one mistake. It was like three different dudes that probably should have been able to make a tackle and didn't and over pursued. And to be fair, it was three. I mean, I'm thinking of Parsons didn't really have a great chance at it, but he had a chance. Um, I think it was Johnny Patrician had a decent chance. And, um, Monroe, I have uh, Aaron Monroe, Monroe yeah. uh, John Patrician as guys who missed tackles, Sutherland and Parsons are guys who ran past him before they yeah. got there, and then Dotson and uh, Castro Fields also over so if, but if I you, might if not you look at the If you look at the unit that was actually on the kicker turn, it was a lot of guys that were new to that situation. So it wasn't, it wasn't like there was a ton of experienced special teamers in there. It was a lot of green guys out there. So... Uh, it's not really acceptable, but it's somewhat understandable, I guess. But yeah, really, really not a great, not a great debut for Phil Galliano. Yeah, and I, I I've spent a lot of time thinking uh, about special teams in the context of this game because, to me, if Penn State goes into the locker room up ten to three. And if it goes into the third quarter up 24 to 3 with App State, uh, you, you know, App State driving still. One thing I hate doing, I hate, 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 hate going. That thing and that thing impacted the entire game. Because for all that I know, Apple Action State would have gotten the ball in that first drive, gone down the field and scored. And maybe one they, as they went down the field and scored, Penn State suffers like five major serious injuries that change the course of the entire season. Or maybe, like, I don't know, maybe there's a pick six. So many things can happen. But I keep thinking about how different this game feels and how differently we are looking back on this game and how differently perhaps the fourth quarter plays out and how App State's approach changes and how Penn State's approach changes if it goes into that fourth quarter with Penn State up by three touchdowns. And completely then I, different. Com- completely. Completely different. Like, we're talking about how Penn State's defense looks like it could be one of the best in the, in the Big Ten and in the country heading into the fourth quarter. 
And then I think about that onside kick where App State just went for it. Poor Lamont Wade was put into a near impossible situation there. And, you know, there was just... Caught, caught between the poop and the fart. He was caught between the poop and the fart. Absolutely. And he tried to make a play. He was a little bit late recognizing it. But still, there were like four or five App State guys bearing down on him when that football was bouncing towards him. App State scores to make it a one-score game. Start getting a little bit of momentum back. They then do that. And... Like, I don't believe in momentum as, like, a quantifiable thing. But I definitely believe in it when it comes to, you know, it's a, it's a way that you could throw a right hook when you've been jabbing all game. And when you throw that right hook, it catches your opponent off guard, and suddenly you're the one on the front foot. And I think we saw that with Penn State, because then App State goes down and in four plays in a minute and a half, they score a touchdown. And I just keep thinking, and I keep going back, So what happens if App State's kick returner gets taken down on that play, on that first play of the game for them? And what happens if either Lamont Wade recovers that or if App State, in response, because they're down uh, 31 to 17, because, again, the false assumption that everything plays out the same way, they're down 31 to 17, or down by two touchdowns. Are they still kicking that onside kick? It, or are they sending that? Probably and, not. Yeah. And these are all, like, these are reasons for, cons- these are the bigger reasons for concern for me. Because if those two plays go the other way, I think it's possible that Penn State wins a very comfortable football game. And heading into this week, we're, like, those of us who have some concerns are not nearly as worried about some of that stuff. So, Nick, there's, you know, the pendulum uh, of take-having that I've seen kind of goes between two extremes. Y- you know, outside of the extreme uh, of, you know, we all die someday, so who cares? Uh, the one kind of way to look at it that I've seen is, it's week one, this kind of stuff happens, Look at what happened to Michigan State where they nearly got got by Utah State. Look at what happened to Texas where they got got by Maryland. Weird things happen in week Again. one. Again. Weird things happen in week one, and Appalachian State is the team that is m- most famous for making a weird thing happen in week one 11 years ago to the day last Saturday. Then there's the other side where it's going like, listen, this is terrifying. Suddenly thinking... You know, I came into the season thinking Penn State was a Big Ten title contender. If the team that we saw on Saturday is indicative of the year we're going towards, this is a team that might lose all four big Big Ten games. It might lose at Pitt. Like, where are you on that pendulum? Because I think I'm going to be a little bit more in one direction than you are on this. I'm, I mean, my first reaction is very much it's week one relax don't draw too many conclusions uh the thing i keep going back to is there were 12 dudes that started this game that were not starters in or were moved to a different position um that were not starters at that spot in 2017 that's a lot of inexperience that's a lot of inexperience especially when you look at the defensive side there was a lot of guys who were put in these much bigger 
much bigger spotlights than they had been previously. So for me, when when I see that and I see the results, I see how the game played out. I see kind of the the flow of when things started to happen. We already touched a lot upon what really went wrong in that fourth quarter. But when I when I see all those things combined, I still feel pretty good about this season, and I'm not going to overreact to what we saw in week one, even though there were definitely negatives that need to be corrected. They are negatives that are, I think, common with a group of, with a very young team. And this is a pretty young team. Um, it's, they, like we said, they had, it was pretty clear that once they got to that 31 mark, they thought the game was over and they started coasting. And that's something that young players have to learn how to avoid. So, I, I'm not, I'm not at all in the camp that this performance means anything in regards to what will happen in the four Big Ten, the four big Big Ten games. I think that there are things that, if they continue, are obviously worries. If Oruarie and Reed and, uh, well, True Castro Fields is actually pretty awesome, yeah. um, as was Donovan Johnson, but. If Oruwari and Reed continue to struggle in the next two weeks or so, then yeah, of course you have to start worrying about it for the Big Ten slate. But right now, I mean, you can't, just in the same way as last year, it would have been irresponsible for us to say that Saquon was going to go for 200 yards every single game. It would have been silly for us to say, oh, this offensive line is dominant. It's you, you can't. You can't do it in a positive direction one year and then a negative direction the next. It's week one. Just let it be week one. Yeah, I mean, I, I generally think I'm, uh, I generally think I'm in that camp. Like again, we've seen enough weird stuff happen at this point in the season that uh, I'm not. I, I I don't think the house is burning down. Basically, however, having said that. Uh, Teams don't just allow 28 points in a quarter. Um, so when I look at something like that, I see cornerbacks that, uh, you, you know, they, there's some stuff that they have to sharpen. I, I think John Reed's going to be fine. Um, I want to go back and do a bit of a smaller rewatch and look at how frequently he was tested outside of uh the touchdown grab that he allowed that, again, I thought was a really good throw and a really good catch. I want to go back and see uh, a Rouarier, just looking a little bit at what uh, we saw out of him. Nick Scott and Garrett Taylor uh, were, I think, like second and third on the team in tackles, which, I mean, good for them that they were wrapping dudes up, but also you don't want your safeties being second and third on the team in tackles. So that's a bit of a concern. There are concerns about uh, it looked. I think Koa Farmer and uh, Cam Brown and Jan Johnson, they have the, like I don't think they're the kind of game changing linebackers that you're going to need when you're going up against Jonathan Taylor or against J.K. Dobbins. Even though I think they all have roles on this defense, I think the defensive tackles they're guys that need a little bit more seasoning, but they might need to grow up a little bit faster than we might have hoped. Like I look at stuff like that. And that's where I get concerns, especially, and we'll talk about this a little later in the week, heading into um, what's going to be perhaps the most hostile environment that they end up playing in this season. 
against a team that's going to want to come out and uh, give Penn State they're going to crank out that little extra or whatever that weird thing Pat Narduzzi said today. Like, that that's the stuff that I'm worried about. I do think there's a little bit of optimism that we can take uh, that stems from the place of, uh, I think a lot of the stuff that Appalachian State did, where they might try to catch Penn State off guard, where they have a quarterback who can move a little bit, where uh, they might try and go for some smoke and mirrors, where they have a quarterback who has a good amount of moxie and a good amount of swagger. I think getting to face that in week one is something that can help Penn State in week two. But I also think this is a team that needs that needs to correct a good number of things heading into week two. I'm not worried too much about Kent State or Illinois than heading into a game against Ohio State that if Penn State is able to be 4-0 heading into that game, Ohio State's also probably going to be 4-0. And that game could almost be a Big Ten title play-in game with how some other things might shake out this season. So I'm not, I'm concerned. I'm not at the point where I'm willing to uh, start flipping over tables. And part of the reason for that, Nick, is um, I think, and I might have written this on the site, I think that while Penn State is taking time to figure out what it is with all these new guys, with some, with some of the most talented players on the roster being freshmen, I think Trace McSorley has to be the guy. He like beyond the you know Heisman hype, anything like that. If Penn State wants to walk into that game against Ohio State four zero and with a chance and being in a spot where it's still competing for a Big Ten chance or still competing for a playoff spot, they need Trace McSorley to be able to compensate for whatever struggles the defense might have, for whatever struggles uh, might pop up with a running game of young dudes. And I think any concern that I might have had, and I didn't have too terribly much, but any concern that I might have had about him do that, doing that was eradicated on Penn State's final drive of regu- of regulation where the ball was put into his hands and he was told you have to win us this football game and he converted a fourth down by hitting Brandon Polk. He was able to, he faced some pressure. He was able to make a decision on when to run. And then when he had to make the play, he had two guys bearing down on him and he throws a beautiful pass to KJ Hamler, who again, we haven't mentioned on this pod. I don't think had an awesome game for six. So, what are your thoughts on Trace McSorley and what he needs to do over the next couple of weeks as Penn State is ironing out some of the wrinkles that popped up against the Mountaineers? I think he just needs to be given the chance to continue to get comfortable with what he has in this receiving core. We already saw we saw him through the game, I mean visibly get more comfortable with KJ Hamler. And it's not that he's unfamiliar with these guys because obviously he's with them in practice and most of the guys out there, like Juwan and uh, DeAndre Tompkins and Brandon Polk, he's been thrown to for a while. But just continuing to get acquainted with the, kind of the dynamic of this year's uh, receiving core. Because we know that Trace is a gamer. We know that he can put the team on his back when he has to. We know that he can do that. And we saw that in the dire situation. I mean, it's it was like all there. And granted, they were starting uh, 
let's see, he returned it 52 yards. He was probably two yards deep, so they probably started like their own 49 on that last drive. So granted, he was starting with excellent field position, but when he took that ball when the game was on the line, it, it was like none of those fourth quarter struggles had ever happened, and he just balled out because that's what he does. He's Trace McSorley. That, that's... That's how he. That's how he runs the yep. show. So, I I think just continuing to kind of, it's I'm trying to figure out how to word it. How to word what I want to say. Trying trying to figure out. I think the main thing is what does Juwan Johnson as a number one receiver in 2018 look like? I think once he and McSorley are able to get on the same page there, and it's not that they didn't um, have a connection at all in this game. I I know that. I, I know that I said earlier on Twitter during the game that I was disappointed in the lack of connection between he and Johnson. Um, they did complete a few big passes. It was just the ones they missed were pretty glaring. I think once they figure out that, then everything else is going to open up. Hamler's going to be able to really step up as that um, just that speedy guy who's either blowing the top off the defense or getting open on short routes that he can run for a mile after, figuring out where where in God's name DeAndre Tompkins was and how to get him yeah. involved and um, how to continue to work Brandon Polk in, how to try to get Matt Kippenhammer involved maybe. He looked good in the spring game, and while that means nothing, he's he's a talented kid. And with Justin Shorter coming back soon. So I think for McSorley, in order to help him, in order, in order for him to help lead this team through this time of transition, I think... They just need to really firm up what exactly this receiving core and tight end core looks like in 2018. You, if he gets a little bit of help, um, I, I'm going to start feeling really, really good. I mean, we saw some on the first drive of the game. Penn State rolled out a wide receiver grouping of Tompkins, Hippenhammer, and Hamler outside in on one side, and then Johnson on the other, like. I believe they had a few times where they were going with uh, four receivers and a tight end split out wide. Like You can tell that they're going to put a lot of games in Trace McSorley's hands. And, you, you know, I mentioned this a minute ago. I In those late situations, I want to see them run the ball when they're ahead. But if you're putting the ball in number nine's hands, he's done it enough times that he, that, that like, I'm going to feel pretty good about that. And, you know, even this year, he has, like, he hasn't, during his time as Penn State's starting quarterback, had a piece like K.J. Hamler, who can really take the top off of the defense. Or, you know, Juwan Johnson, he dropped those two balls where he had six catches for 67 yards in this game. If he catches his two drops, if I remember correctly, they were both pretty substantial, uh, pretty a good ways down the field. If he ends up catching those two big ones, he might have had a third in there. He's We're talking about an 8-9 reception game where he's pushing 100 yards of receiving, uh, and that's what you expect out of a number one wide receiver. If they can get that stuff kind of figured out a little bit, and again, if they can find DeAndre Tompkins, and if they... Justin Shorter comes back soon, and he is what Penn State expects, and we can get uh, a glimpse into what Mac Hippenhammer is and those other guys they're excited about. This receiving game is going to be good. We know what the I think we have a pretty good idea of what the running game is going to be. Miles Sanders is the guy. Mark Allen comes in when they want a more like scat back, like and Ricky Slade is the home run threat. Uh, 
But it all comes down to McSorley. And I, against Appalachian State, he was put in a position where he had to win the game. And he went out there and he did the thing. And that's for how concerned. That's what Heisman yeah, winners do. Exactly. And for how concerned I was, for how concerned I am about a lot of things, uh, I, you know, I'm, my fear is kind of tempered a little bit knowing this. Uh, so I think that's all that I want to talk about uh, with this game. If is there anything like pressing that you'd want to uh, pop up? Other than hey, Penn State has two. Penn State has two kickers, both freshmen, and one isn't booting the ball out of bounds on kickoffs, and the other one seems like he has some semblance of a leg and some amount of swagger as a field goal kicker, which rules. Yeah, I thought Penninger looked awesome. Same. I, he, same. He, I mean his. His longest field goal is 32 yards, so nothing crazy. But for a true freshman, I'm not going to complain about yeah. kicking a 30-plus yard field goal and six extra points. That's fine. Yeah, good for him. And then, yeah, there's nothing. I, I mean, it was. I mean, there was cool stuff like if you go back and watch the drive where Micah Parsons played for the first time. It was about halfway through the second quarter. Uh, he's just all over the place, uh, even when he makes mistakes. He's able to compensate for that, and by the end of the season, well, I actually, th- I, I think, and we'll t- maybe talk about this again. by the end. By the end of week three, <laughs> oh yeah, put him on the field with some of them Kent State men and watch what happens. But, uh, but no, like I think that it's possible that he plays if he plays a good amount against Pitt. He seems like the kind of guy who can feed off of that energy and just like keep making plays. By the end of the year, I think he's going to be really, really good. But yeah. I can't think of any big stuff to talk about there, and just don't overreact. Yeah, don't o- have your concerns, but don't be at the point where you think this season is over yet. Because, well, it's not. They went. They did. Their- and App State might just be better than Pitt. At, I I mentioned this on uh, Twitter, but I do think it's very possible that App State is a better football team than Pitt. Uh, again, I cannot put into words how impressed I was with Zach Thomas. Like that dude is. Like, it's a shame they don't really play anyone else. Yeah, but there it'd, it'd be fun to see them against like to see what they do against like a like Indiana level team. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's possible. Hang, you're looking at their schedule. Like, you know, they're going to have to play that weird Arkansas State team. But that game against Troy is going to be fun. Troy's always a very good team. But if they end up going eleven and one, they might get thrown into a bowl against like, you know, a mid level. Big Ten team or a mid-level ACC team, and I'd love to see them against like, you know, that sort of team. So that that could be fun. Uh, we'll get the- some get some votes and help us out, boys. Yes, sir. App State, we are your biggest fans this year. So uh, go, uh, go Mountaineers. Bring, uh, bring some, make some history in Old Boone, North Carolina. Uh, looking at the Big Ten slate, Minnesota beat New Mexico State. I have nothing to say about that, and I know you don't either, Nick. Northwestern, nope. Purdue, um, Northwestern scored 31 points in the first quarter, first half, and then 31 points for the game, but still won anyway. I don't care. Just uh, as I predicted. Yes. Neither Nick nor myself predicted Purdue to go beat the unholy hell out of Northwestern, so don't look for any predictions from us on the internet. Uh, Wisconsin beat up on Western Kentucky. Duh. Uh, Michigan State against Utah State. I didn't watch this game, Nick, but uh, I know you watched the first half of it. This is another one of those games, like, 
it's it's a game like this that makes me not too worried about Penn State because very very weird things happen in week one and if Utah State if Michigan State basically needs an entire game to knock off Utah State it makes me feel a tiny bit better about Penn State struggling with App State until overtime. Yeah, Utah State in the first quarter had multiple drives where they just marched down the field with really absolutely no resistance at all. Like, is their fir- they scored a touchdown on their first drive. Um, they scored first in the game, actually, and Michigan State ended up answering pretty quickly. But, yeah, Utah State, they had zero issues just going straight through Sparty's defense to score that opening touchdown. Um, I was... I was probably equally as impressed with Utah State as I was a little disappointed by Sparty's defense. Um, I think similar to Penn State, they'll they'll obviously grow from this and they'll get better. But for a team that is priding itself on how much experience it has and how many returning starters they have, that wasn't a great start. Ohio State, Oregon State, Buckeyes put up 77. Uh, Oregon State scores 31. Uh, gave up a lot of yards. They did give up a lot of yards, but uh, and not all of them late. Yeah, not all. Not all of them were garbage time yards. Even though Ohio State went into the half of forty-two to fourteen. Uh, Nick, as it turns out, Dwayne Haskins good at football. Who could have seen that coming? Besides anyone who, who watched could play have in seen high that. So listen, Goodness. if by some miracle you're an eleven Warriors commenter who uh, during the JT Barrett. Barrett era would comment that uh, JT Barrett's garbage and the backup quarterback is better because he just has to be. Keep it up because you're on to something. Keep going to those 11 Warriors comment sections and saying things like that. Uh, but I mean, the more important backup that had a really impressive game, I thought, was Mike Weber, 20 carries, 186 yards, and three touchdowns. While J.K. Dobbins, you could tell they probably didn't want him, uh, you know, going all out, 15 carries for 74 yards. So. Uh, Oregon State sucks. Oregon State really, really, really sucks. Uh, next week, somehow Ohio State might get a better challenge when it plays Rutgers, uh, but it's still going to win that game. And then they have uh, TCU and Jerry World. So, whatever, Nick. Whatever. It's mostly whatever because we got to talk about the hot seat up in Ann Arbor. Notre Dame, 24. Michigan, 17. Jim Harbaugh. I don't know if he's the man for the job anymore, Nick. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, uh, I'm. Uh, you know what? I, I'm gonna run. You know, drive the fire. Jim that that sounded like it hurt. Yeah, it kind of did. I'm a little lightheaded right now. I, the Knolls are on my television, so my uh, brain isn't working too terribly well. But Brandon Wimbush played pretty well for a half or a quarter. Heisman. Yeah, uh, Nick and my uh, Heisman dark horse last year. Don't ask us what we thought about the game against Miami. Went out. Didn't play also part- don't ask me how much money I put on Wimbush to win the Heisman before last season. Don't I'm certainly not going to do that, and nor should you. Uh, but yeah, Shea Patterson, twenty for thirty, two hundred and twenty-seven yards, no touchdowns and an interception. Um, yeah, Michigan, that's a uh, not great. They they haven't won a road. They still might yeah. not have an offensive line. Oh, they don't have an offensive line like at all. Chase Winovich, uh, three. Notre Dame's defense is good though. So yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. write them so, off completely. No, no. I think it'd be fun if we wrote Michigan off completely. Uh, they got Western next week and then SMU and then the Nebraska team that didn't play this week. Uh, so we, we won't know anything about Michigan for, well, we might have a pretty good idea by the end of the month. Cause they got to go to Evanston, uh, looking through, uh, Maryland put pause on Texas again. I don't know what the hell it is, um, but for whatever reason... It's health. 
They have health. Yeah. Uh, Makes a big difference. Oh, I didn't see that uh, Kasim Hill is their starting quarterback now. I thought it was going to be Pigro, but yeah. Kasim they, Hill. Bo- they both played. Hill played yeah. more. Yeah, former future Penn Stater Kasim Hill. Good for him. Uh, but yeah, shouts to Maryland, honestly. I mean, uh, Texas was a team that came into the year with a lot of hype. Texas uh, is back. Texas, hook him. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was, uh, I think Robert Smith of Fox picked them as like a dark horse, uh, Heisman contender, but yeah, uh, good for Maryland. Like that's a, that's a huge win for them. Uh, that program, it's been a very, very, uh, we'll say interesting month for that program. Uh, Ward knows what's going to happen the rest of this year. Uh, you know, they and remember it's their terrible things happen at Maryland, not the player's fault. Don't hold oh, yeah, it against yeah. the players. Yeah. Yeah, uh, hope D be stunned that DJ Durkin still has a job. Don't have, hope that he doesn't have one for too terribly much longer. Uh, but yeah, as I'm looking through, they have to go to Michigan. They have to go to Kinnick. Uh, their final month of the year is Sparty at Indiana, Ohio State, and at Penn State. This could still end up being a pretty tough year uh, in Maryland, but they got off to a really great start. Uh, Kent State, Illinois. Uh, Illinois needed everything it had to beat Kent State, but... Uh, we don't care because I am devastated uh, to report, as many of you might have seen, that 60-year senior Mikey Dudek, uh, his season came to an end. Uh, his, I don't think there is a college football player who has had a more that there. I mean, there probably is, but in recent memory, that has had a more unfair career uh, than Mikey Dudek. We all remember what Criminal. he did. Penn State in 2014, huge freshman year, tore his ACL in 2015, tore his ACL in 2016, missed five games in 27 due to an injury, and then out for the season in 2018. Like, shout out to him, whatever he does next, I hope it's good for him, Uh, and we'll just ignore everything else about Illinois football. Uh, And then Indiana struggled. Aside from the beard. Love his beard rules. My man's out here looking like Santa Claus. Yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, we're not going to like give any thoughts about him as a uh, college football coach because they probably wouldn't go great. Do, do they have any fun games coming up? Like any games against teams that are going to, Oh boy, they got USF. Uh, that's yeah, gonna... they, they got USF they... and then we're going there on a Friday night. So they, they might lose their next two games if they play like they did week one. Well, they won't, they probably, probably, probably won't lose to Western Illinois cause Western Illinois ain't very good. But, uh, and, you know, Friday night road games are always weird, but I feel pretty good about Penn State going into that one. Neither here nor there. Uh, Rutgers whooped up on Texas State, whatever. Iowa whooped up on Northern Illinois, whatever. Indiana whooped up on Florida International. Well, they didn't. They won by 10. Uh, still won. Whatever. Go Hoosiers. Shouts to our friends at Crimson Quarry. And then Akron, Nebraska uh, canceled. Anything else, Nick? I think that I think that pretty much covers it. I think so, too. Uh Good to be back. Good to be talking about Penn State football. Uh, and I hope that uh, despite the fact that this week's game wasn't the prettiest win, uh, that we're all you know pretty stoked about the fact that the Nittany Lions came out on top and we're now looking forward to what should be a very, very interesting game uh, against a Pitt team that's going to be uh, that's going to give Penn State its best shot. So. Penn State has a great track record of overtime games that probably shouldn't be overtime games, propelling them to bigger things. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. And uh, that starts this upcoming week. We will talk about that in our midweek podcast. Make sure you keep an eye out for that. You could do that, of course, by subscribing on our various iTunes 
our various podcast platforms. You know them all by now. Uh, that's also because I just kind of get tired of reading them. Follow us on all our social media channels. iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play. Is, it like, is, is Stitcher one of them? I don't think Stitcher. I, I'm not sure. Maybe Stitcher. Yeah, whatever. Not uh, Spotify. Yes, we are not on Spotify, and uh, no one has ever asked us to be on there. So I'm not. But one day that. they will. One day someone will. Yes. Uh, but yeah, follow us, like us on social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. Keep reading and supporting the site. Uh, keep buying shirts. Uh, they're still very nice shirts. If you haven't gotten one yet, but you listen to this podcast, what are you waiting for? Just get on that, friends. Uh, and yeah, for my co-host Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.